Section B. Plato, 427 to 348 BC. From the dates, we can see that Plato lies astride the 5th and 4th centuries BC, the golden age of the political life of Athens. His deep interest was the life of man and society insofar as society could help man to reach his transcendent destiny beyond this life, the happiness of man. He was educated in Athens under Socrates, who could not accept the current philosophy of the sophists, intellectuals of their time, a philosophy which consisted in the rejection of truth. They did not believe in truth, but only in appearances, in how one sees things, not in what they are in themselves, and that everything is in a state of flux and there is nothing permanent. For them, the important thing in life was to get ahead, to succeed, getting as much satisfaction as possible. Socrates rejected this entire philosophy as contrary to reason, since reason demands something stable and permanent. See chapter 6, section E. He managed, with his manner of philosophizing, to force the sophists to admit that their rejection of the truth implied a self-contradiction. If one says that there is no truth, either he is telling the truth or not, and in either case he contradicts himself. Socrates was firmly convinced that man is intelligent, that he differs from animals, and so he rose against the philosophy of the sophists. Plato was one of his disciples, and when Socrates died, he traveled to southern Italy, which was also part of the Greek-speaking world, where he experimented his political theories, though not very successfully. Then he returned to Athens, where he founded his school called the Academy, after the god Akademos, in which he taught his philosophy. He wrote in the form of dialogues, with a very readable style, more literary and poetical than scholarly. Here is a sketch of his doctrine. 1. Ideas are the principles of all things. 2. The sensible world participates in the ideas. 3. Human souls fulfill themselves by the contemplation of the ideas. 4. Morality, education, and politics consist in communicating this contemplation to others. Let us now briefly develop these four points. First, the ideas. We observe in the world certain realities like beauty, justice, goodness, etc., which are always found in fragmentary and scattered ways. We don't find beauty as such, but beautiful things. Not justice as such, but actions. Not goodness as such, but good men, etc. These realities are found in the world, fragmented, i.e. piece by piece, not in their fullness. So, they must exist, he said, by themselves, in another world, topos uranus, equaling a place in heaven. Because, if we see images, there must be a model, archetypos. These are the ideas of forms, eidos, the models of all things. For everything that we can define, Socratic influence, there must exist an idea in that world of ideas. And these things we see around us participate in or imitate the pure ideas. There seem to be two worlds, the world of things, sensible, and the world of ideas, intelligible. But the latter is the fundamental world according to Plato, while the other is only a participation or imitation.
As we saw in chapter 16, St. Thomas hailed the idea of participation, but pointed out that Plato did not realize that reality is in the act of being, not in the form as such. Platonic metaphysics is therefore defective, since Plato was looking only at forms or ideas, but without actuality of being, these ideas are only abstractions and don't exist by themselves. Aristotle, on the other hand, understood that these ideas are only abstractions from reality, but then he said that the real thing is the world of motion, which is not entirely true either. The real world is that of actuality of being, which includes the world of motion. Participation, then, should be understood in this sense, that everything exists or has the act of being participates in the act of being because it limits the act of being to what the thing is. And this implies the existence of a pure act of being, which is not participated but is the fullness of the act of being. This is how the metaphysics of St. Thomas brightens the dimness of Platonic metaphysics. See chapter 16, section B. As for the human soul, Plato says that it is made for the contemplation of the ideas in which its happiness is found. He first proves the existence of the human soul and then its immortality. But he goes too far and proves also the pre-existence of souls, which is already an error. See chapter 31, section B. The human soul is indeed immortal, but it does not exist before the body. He falls into this error because he conceives the human soul as a being in itself, a complete substance, which is like the motor of the body. For him, man is a soul using a body. Aristotle, on the other hand, while realizing that the soul is the substantial form of the body, emphasizes the substantial union of body and soul, so much that he can hardly see the immortality of the soul and prefers not to discuss it. St. Thomas gets the best of both, all the positive from Plato for the immortality of the soul, plus the hylomorphism, matter and form doctrine of Aristotle, which shows very clearly the unity of body and soul, and why the soul cannot exist before the body, as it is its substantial form. But when the body dies or disintegrates, the soul goes on living since it is spiritual in nature. It performs the spiritual operations of understanding and choosing, and so it cannot disintegrate as it is not material at all. This is why it is fitting to think that the bodies will rise again, since the soul is incomplete without the body, even if it can go on living by itself. Another Platonic error is to think that everything has a soul, not only man. There are souls everywhere. Everything is animated. He held this belief from the Pythagoreans, very similar to Hindu beliefs, reincarnation of souls, etc. He believed that every planet or celestial body had a soul too, because it moved, and the soul is the principle of motion. Aristotle was more correct in conceiving the soul, psyche, as the principle of imminent motion or of life. There are many kinds of souls as degrees of life, and the spiritual life of man requires a kind of soul which cannot inform anything but a man. See chapter 31. Lastly, for Plato, morality, 
education, and politics consist in communicating the contemplation of ideas to others. We said earlier, see chapter 21, section C, that in studying the history of philosophy, it is always important to see what philosophers say about God. For Plato, God is the supreme soul or intelligence and the origin of all motion. But he also calls gods the other intelligences which are under that supreme one. These are the intermediary beings identified with the celestial bodies, which are also animated by superior souls. These celestial bodies are somehow related to our lives, hence the belief in astrology or horoscopes, in some beings up there in the sky who rule our lives. This is one more form of that determinism which we discussed in chapter 30, section C. But the contemplation of the ideas, the soul resembles God more and more, in order to achieve this, man must be righteous in this life. And this is the beginning of that life of contemplation, of the ideas which we will receive after this one. And what about evil? Evil, he says, is the punishment for error, and consists in being embodied again, i.e. reincarnated. In chapter 31, we have already discussed these errors and the path of truth they contain. See also chapter 38, section E, for the correct notion of moral sanction.